Grace, mercy, peace, power, joy be yours through Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Amen. A text? Two texts. The first from Luke. Jesus asked, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And the answer to the question from Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Please be seated. Christ is risen. Pretty early in the morning for you, huh? We'll try again. Christ is risen. Now, it's important we get that right because you see, everything that we say from here on is based upon that truth. The other day I saw a talk show on television down in Texas. Host was on the street interviewing people. I wasn't asking about Ebola. I wasn't talking about how they felt about a person being beheaded by the Islamic State. He was talking to them about the Bible. He asked one of the people, how many commandments are there? Uh, the lady correctly replied, ten. He said, can you name one of them? Thou shalt not do anything. He asked a man, can you name the writers of the gospel? There were four of them. Man couldn't do that. Asked the same man again, can you name the Beatles? And he said, oh, yeah, that, that, that's Paul, John, George, and Ringo. Went up to a fellow. So there's an Old Testament book about a man that was swallowed by a whale. Do you know the name of that man in that book? And the man's face immediately brightened because he knew the answer. He said, easy, that would be Pinocchio. By the time the interview was over, I was convinced that the average person knows absolutely nothing about the Bible, which means they know even less about Christianity, which means, and this is the most tragic part, they know nothing about the Savior and his blood-bought salvation. It wasn't so very different in 1528 when Martin Luther walked the streets of Wittenberg. He conducted his very own personal survey. A man on the street interviewed. Find out what people knew about the Bible and their Lord. He was totally shocked by their ignorance. That's why Luther, in a large catechism and then a small catechism, boiled things down. The Reformation boiled things down. Sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura. Today, almost 500 years after Luther... Your pastors still speak about sola fide, sola gratia, sola scriptura. And you still nod and say, this is most certainly true. And then we look at each other and say, what does this mean? In truth, the year doesn't make any difference. People have always wondered, how can I be saved? It's a legitimate question, and you can understand why people might be somewhat confused. They, they are puzzled, perplexed, bemused, befuddled, bewildered. They hear one preacher get up in his pulpit and confess the deity of Christ, while another preacher denies. One pastor preaches salvation through living grace, and another preaches salvation through graceful living. 
One minister appeals to the shed blood, and another one calls for bloodshed. One denomination is concerned about divine revelation, another is dedicated to social revolution. Some talk about Christ's atonement, and others speak about humankind's attainments. No wonder people have come to the conclusion that Christianity is nothing but smoke and mirrors. At best, it is somebody's opinion. At worst, it's a joke. What is Christianity? That is what the world asks. And that is the answer we supply, not just on this Mission Sunday, but always. By the Spirit's power, and in the, the simplest possible terms, Luther said, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. That was good. But we can boil it down. We can make it even easier. I cannot. Christianity is unique in saying, I cannot. Investigate the hundreds of religions in Asia and Africa, the thousands of belief systems all around the globe. Christianity is unique. Take a look at the tens of thousands of deities which have come and gone over the centuries. Christianity alone says, I cannot. Every other religion of the world says, you must try. You must try to bridge the gulf that exists between sinful humankind and God who is very angry at you. You must try to atone in some way for all that you have done wrong. You must try to find a way to make God smile and not sneer at your sinful soul. You must try. That is what these religions say. And people have tried. People have tried by worshiping holy cows and sacred cats. Over there is a religion which tells its worshipers that they need to be suspended in the air from hooks embedded in their living, quivering flesh. Over there, there's a religion whose adherents stand staring at the dazzling sun until their eyes are burned into blindness. We must try, said the ancient Indians of Mexico in an attempt to do that, they ended up ripping living, beating hearts from human sacrifices. We must try, said the Canaanite creeds, and history tells how they burned their children alive in the bellies of their God's idols. We must try. That is the single motivator of humanity as it tries to somehow procure a blessing from above from an imaginary outraged god or goddess. Of course, the gentle souls of Michigan and Frankenmuth would say, well, we don't do those kinds of things you just talked about, and you don't. You don't whip or starve your bodies as Luther did in his monk's cell. On the other hand, the idea that I must work my way to heaven remains part of every religion of the world. Go ahead. Ask around. See what people say. Ask people, your neighbors, your friends, your family members who are not Christian, how, am I go how are you going to get to heaven? You know what they'll tell you? Well, 
You know, I think a, a person has to try to lead a good life. If you lead a good life, God is going to take you just that way. It's the way it is. Of course, elsewhere in the world, the folks that we identify for mission work, you can go to India and see the Hindu as he makes his sacrifices. You can look at Islam's mandated pilgrimages to Mecca and Medina, the prescribed prayers, the legislated charities, the suicide bomber who thinks that he can open up heaven by killing himself and others. Go around the world and take a look. See the Buddhist always searching, striving, seeking perfect enlightenment. See the prayer wheels of Tibet rolling out an endless number of prayers each day. And of course, the sophisticated citizens of civilized countries will say, we don't do that. And they don't. Far too many cling to the idea that they don't have to do anything. They don't have to sacrifice anything, say something, earn something, offer something, do something. Because they have come to the conclusion that this life is it. A person lives and dies and poof. There is no God, there is no soul, there is no devil, no heaven, no hell, no guilt, no punishment, no forgiveness needed. But still, but still, in spite of their bravery and bravado, they wonder. If there is no God who has put into my heart a sense of right and wrong and outrage for things which are unjust, when I look up into the heavens on a clear, crisp night, what is it that tells me that there is someone there who is bigger, brighter, more brilliant than I? When I look into the cradle of a newborn child who is whispering to me, and do you think that this precious life has just come about by accident? They wonder if there is no God who has given them a conscience to tell them right from wrong, good from evil, those souls try. They desperately try to ignore God. They try to wipe him away from their minds and their hearts, but he remains. And down deep late at night, they wonder if someday he will not return in judgment. That was what forced Luther to confess away, whip away, starve away his sins. And that's why he ended up saying, I cannot, I cannot atone for my sin. I cannot earn heaven. I cannot make things right. I cannot. This would be a terrible Mission Sunday. A dark and dreary celebration if those words, I cannot, were the epitaph which was to be carved into humanity's tombstone. How foolish, how frustrating, how futile, how sad, how sorrowful would be all of our tomorrows if we were condemned to end this life with the words, I cannot. But this day we give thanks to God that there is more. You read through scripture and discover 
even though we may not be able to change things, that doesn't mean that God can't. It doesn't make sense to us, but take a look. It's in here. God can. While we were yet sinners, Christ came to die for us. In another place it says, I am the way, the truth, the life. By grace you are saved through faith. Luther was amazed. The Bible is filled with a message. I cannot, but God can. And with that knowledge he wrote, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but this congregation exists because of that word. These pastors preach from that pulpit and have done so for well more than a hundred years because of that word. Your life is different than everybody else in the world who doesn't know Jesus Christ because of that word. I cannot, but God can. God can and God does change things. That is the message which we are given to proclaim to a lost and dying world. We are free to proclaim it. We need to proclaim it because those words, but God can, means forgiveness and freedom, deliverance from death, hope, happiness, forgiveness, freedom. I cannot save myself, but the Holy Spirit can give me faith. He calls me by the gospel. He lightens me with his gifts. He wishes to bestow these gifts upon me. He do, wishes to do it upon a lost and dying world. He strengthens everyone who is, he brings to faith in Jesus as his Savior. Everyone. Everybody. Luther looked through Scripture to see if that was true. Because, you know, out there the world believes that Christianity is a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant kind of God. Luther found that was not the case. Adam and Eve, to the best of our knowledge, was not, were not Lutheran. But still they deserved to die for their disobedience. But God gave them grace and promised a Savior. Abraham probably wasn't Lutheran. He doubted God's promise to provide an heir, but God gave his grace. The children of Israel should have been wiped out because of their murmurings and mutterings. But God gave his grace. The doubts and denials of the prophets, the priests, the princes are all recorded in Scripture. And so is the ongoing grace and power of God. Search as you will. Read through the Bible. You can find it nowhere else, only in Scripture can you hear about the grace of God who says that he loved the world enough to send his only Son so that whoever believes in him is not going to be tied down to this earth, is not going to be destined to hell, but will be given life everlasting. By God's grace, that is the message we can share. Will Jesus find faith when he returns? Yes, because we are saved by grace alone. Look at Jesus. See him carrying all of our sins. All of our sins. They had to be carried. We could not. The price, the penalty for their commission had to be paid. That's what Jesus did as he hung, suspended between heaven and earth, rejected by both. And even there, even through his pain, even his death approach, you can hear him call out, Father, forgive them. Look at him being deserted upon that cross in a way that we cannot possibly imagine. 
Look at him as he calls out to heaven, Father, it is finished. Into your hands I commend my spirit. We would not have done that to any of our children. The world would not do that to any of their children. But by that, we are saved. That is the message we are privileged to proclaim. God allowed his son to be offered for our salvation. The fact that you are here says that somebody has proclaimed it to you. In fact, since that day, there's been a procession of proclamation. I wonder, are any of the founding members of, of this congregation here this morning? Would you raise your hands? The immediate sons and daughters of the founding members of the congregation, would you raise your hands? You would think somebody would show up. Where are they? If I got my bearings right, they're over there. Which way? That way. But those founding fathers and mothers passed it on to their children who passed it on to you. And if you're not from here, the founding fathers and mothers of your congregation and your family passed the message on. It is a procession of proclamation. And you, my Christian friends, are the latest link in that chain. Every generation, a link. And this is you. This is you. My friends, you are not responsible for what has been done in the past, and you are not entirely responsible for what will happen in the future. But this is your time. This is your moment. This is your generation. This is your link. The forces of the world have massed themselves against Christianity in a way that they have not done since the day Jesus was born. Look anywhere you want and you will see it to be so. Where are the voices? Where are the people who will stand and say, we cannot, but Christ has saved you? Well, I don't know how much time I'm... This is one of the few congregations that, that doesn't put up a clock for me to see. God bless you for that. You know, of all the things I will talk about when I leave here, it was the fact that you didn't clock your ministers. Although I've seen you checking it out. I, I don't know how much time I have left, but I have come a long way, so I don't care. Because I'm going to tell you the history of the church. All of it. The history of the church began... The morning some women went to do the final burial traditions for a dear friend who had been crucified. And as they walked through the darkness, as women have done over the centuries, to say a farewell to a loved one, they talked. Weren't quite sure who would get them into the tomb, but that didn't matter. Women are resourceful. 
But when they got there, they found the tomb was, was open. And a young man, an angel, said to them, Who are you looking for? Jesus isn't here. He's gone just like he said he would be. You go tell the disciples that, won't you? And the women started back, and on the way, they met Jesus. And he talked to them. And they knew that death had been defeated. And he had kept the promise that he had made to them. And they knew that their world forever was going to be changed. And what they did is they went back to those disciples. And the disciples who were hiding out opened the door. What do you want? Jesus is risen! You don't say. We do say. That doesn't happen every day. And the women said to the disciples, and the women said to the disciples, we know. And that's the whole history of the church. It's you who've been to Bethlehem and seen this thing that has come to pass. Who have stood before the cross and see the Son of God pour out his blood. Who have gone and looked inside an empty tomb having that wondrous truth sharing it with them, your friends, your neighbors, your family, and telling them the world will never again be the same. That is the history of the church, and it's important that you share it because, you see, the day is going to come back, come when Jesus is going to return. And when he comes back, he will bring his holy angels with him, and he will come back not as a savior, but as a judge. And when that day comes and heaven opens, if we have done, if we have shared with the world as we should have, if our generation has not broken that link of witnessing, we will be able to turn to our friends and our family and our coworkers and say, Jesus, And they will say, because we have taken our mission seriously, it's my Savior. I know. God grant it be so. Amen.